But they just release what they carry. We, we pay them to be cynical. We pay them to be aware. We want them to be on their A-game. We want them to be suspicious of everything and everyone. Because when they walk up to cars, as we had a fortnight ago when they tried to stop one, sometimes it all goes really bad and they end up in hospital really beat up. And they have to be super aware of what's going on around them to try and avoid getting smashed or killed or shot or having to shoot someone. And so their training causes them to release what they carry. So if coppers come up to you and they're really cynical about stuff, that's just them being them, that's just them actually, they're doing their job and they're doing it really well. I want to encourage you, just like with the police, like you in your life, you release what you carry. You can walk around someone, you know when you walk into a room and someone's grumpy as hell, like angry, really angry? They're just radiating it, spraying it to the world. You don't have to ask, are you angry? Never really helps. Have you ever tried that with someone who's really angry? Are you, like, are you angry? Like they just release what they carry. Or have you ever been with someone who's really anxious and they're, they're really anxious about going into a situation? They just radiate it to the world around them. Have you ever um, been with someone who's grieving? You know, and their loved one dies. And you sit with them and they just cry and cry and cry because of the love they have for the person they've just lost. What are they doing? They are releasing all the bent up stuff that's in them. They're releasing what they carry. We do it in every day, in every way. And in this passage that Warwick's just read us, we see three people. We see Jesus, we see a guy called Jarius, and we see a woman who all just release what they carry as they go about the normal everyday of life. I hope, my prayer for you, is that you release what you carry as a Christian in your everyday life just as you go about your life, as you walk down your road, as you sit at your desk, as you walk across your school playground, as you stand on the sideline at the, at the sporting fields, as you travel to your social events, that you just by who you are, as a Christian, will release what you carry because you carry something so different to the world around you that you, you have to let it out. We've been singing about it all morning, we've been watching videos on it all morning. You're different as a Christian. You are set apart from the world because now you have God residing in you, you have to release what you carry. It's a great statement. We've been singing about great theology. We've read a great Bible reading, but do you actually believe it? Do you actually believe you are who God says you are and that you are prepared to live a life that not only releases it, but represents it well? Let me test it with you this morning. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we read these words. Do you know that Christmas passage? You'll, you'll remember this Christmas passage. For under us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Now, if, as a Christian, you've invited 
you've in, through confession of your sin and an and, and, and invitation of God to come and live into your life, that means because of the cross of what Jesus has done for you in dying on the cross for your sin, that you actually are placed in him. Do we understand that? You're really acting like police now. You're not giving me anything. Like we're placed in him, right? That's, that's true theology. I'll just tell you in case you don't know that, right? So if we're in God, if we're in Jesus as his children, if we're in him through the sinless, blameless act of what Jesus did and dying on the cross for your sin and my sin, there's nothing more that we have to do than accept Jesus' love and, and death on the cross and acknowledge what he's done for us and come before him in confession and repentance and invite him into our hearts. If there's nothing more that we have to do and we're placed in God and one of his names is wonderful, then what does that make you? You are so much like police, it's incredible. It makes you wonderful. Warwick got it right. I'd, have a, I'd give you a Mars bar if I had one, mate, but I haven't. Can you turn to the person beside you as a Christian and say, I'm wonderful? For some of you, that will be the first time you've ever said that phrase in your life. I'm sure. But we, if we're going to have a good theology, we've got to understand not only who we are, but whose we are, and we've got to understand really well how God views us. And I would say to you, I can look you all in the eye this morning and say to you that Jesus looks at you and he says, you're wonderful. You are wonderful. So regardless of what you feel, regardless of what you may be experiencing at the moment, the moment, regardless of what you may have experienced in the past as a Christian, right here, right now, you can rest in the fact that Jesus looks at you and he will say to you as he looks in your eyes, you are wonderful. Yeah, it's not the gospel according to Jeff, it's the gospel according to Jesus. And Jesus is going about his daily life, just walking down this road, and he just releases what he carries. Can I encourage you, just normalise your faith? Just release what you carry. Make it part of your normal conversation. You don't have to change language. You don't have to change tone. You don't have to change volume. You don't have to change anything. You don't have to start twitching. You don't have to do all that. Just work your faith into your normal everyday language. Just dialogue with it. Because you go now with something to contribute. You, you, walk in a, you live as a Christian in a world where you now have something to contribute of God's love and of God's life to the world that you live in. Let it shine. Be normal about it. You might say to me, yeah, but Jeff, you don't understand the place I work in. I have to sign a contract where I won't evangelize and proselytize and be all religious. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know that. I live in that space. 
In a previous employment where I had to sign your life away on a contract, like I got a bit more liberty as a police chaplain because I'm sort of like paid to do some God stuff, so that, that's pretty cool. But in a previous employment, I had to sign my life away and that sort of stuff. And I have to say to you, I have never had in that job, in that short time I was in that space, I, I reckon I would never have had more opportunity to pray with people, pray for people, listen to people's problems, prophesy over people and encourage people in their faith journey than I did in that environment. And I never once set out to share my faith. My prayer to God in that environment was, God, I will walk through any door you open for me. Any, any conversation that has a hint of God, well, they ask me, so I have to talk about it. I will, I will walk through and, and share that. There's no such thing as restrictions in the Lord. God, open a door for people. God, open a door for me. Because as I go down the everyday of my life, I want to release what I carry to the world that I live in. And I want to encourage you as God's people, irrespective of what your world may look like, release what you carry. Jesus is walking down the road. This guy comes up to him. His name's Jarius. Fascinating. I don't know if you're into word studies or anything like that or into the meanings of names. Jarius is this double-edged meaning. It means, it means he is a... Um, Jarius means... He's the ruler of a synagogue in Palestine, so it's a position. But Jairus is also like a, a real Christian name, and it means to light, to give light, and to shine. So it's this dualism. So when Mark reads that the passage like Warwick said, and a ruler of the synagogue came to Jesus, his name was Jairus, it reads like this. Um, a ruler of the synagogue came to Jesus, his name was a ruler of the synagogue. How weird's that? What makes it really weird, what makes it really, not just weird, but really sad is here's a guy, we don't actually know if that's his real name or not. And the trouble with that is his identity of who he actually, what he actually does is so wound up with who he actually is that you can't separate it. That's a really, really, really sad place to be in. It's a really sad place to be in when what you do becomes equal or more important than who you are that nobody can actually separate who are you I don't know if you've thought about that yeah I work in the police but one of my equally bigger passions is for the rural farming community and I sit with too many people and I've done too many funerals for farmers whose identity is so wound up in who they are that when the farm fails, so do they. And, and I could go into great detail, but with the presence of children, I won't. But you know what I mean by that if you have an understanding. And there are people, we don't have to look at the farming community, that's just my personal passion. You can look at any community. I meet people all the time who what they do is so much more important than who they are that they've so sacrificed themselves. They will sacrifice their family. They will sacrifice their friends. They will sacrifice everybody around them and lose it. And I want to encourage you as a Christian, if you're going to release what you carry, do not let what you do become more important 
than who you are. You have to live as a Christian in understanding God. Who, how do you see me? And in the place or the situation I find myself in, how am I then going to live for your glory and honour? So your identity, your position becomes before God and then it's expressed in what you live in. What happens in a lot of situations when people's identity is wound up with what they do is who they are, they, they line it all up in that space. You meet lots of people, 50, 60, retiring, 70. They sit at the end of their life and go, I don't know what to do anymore. What am I going to do? That, that grieves me. As a Christian, we should never end up in that space. We should be able to stand back and go, God, how do you see me? Because whose I am is equally important to who I am. And I want to live a life of regardless of the situation I find myself in, I represent you well. I'll leave that with you to think about. But Jarius rocks up to Jesus, falls on his knees before him. And you've got to understand the significance of how big that was. Oh my goodness, if you were Jewish at that time, if you're reading Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, you get to that verse, your eyes would be not like police, they would be bigger sources. Going, you're joking. Like a religious ruler of the synagogue comes and turns up and kneels at the feet of Jesus, you have to be off your rocker. Yeah, yeah, no, but that's what Jarius is. Why is it so, well... Because do you remember what Jesus said of the religious rulers in Matthew 23, verse 3, when he says to his disciples and the people following, he says, hey guys, don't do what they do. Do not do what they do because they don't practice what they preach. If you're going to release what you carry, you have to practice what you preach. And Jarius in all the world where his identity is so wrapped up in who he is and, and all of that offers in such the prominence and in the authority and in the, the power of his position and the dignity that he gets to walk in in society, even he in such high society comes and finds himself at the foot of Jesus going, Lord, my daughter is dying. Can you please, can you please come and heal her? I don't know if you've ever been in that situation. I remember it well. I can identify with Jairus at this point. It was the first Tuesday in, 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 in April 2004. I came home for lunch that day because back then I could come home for lunch. And I remember driving in and I remember getting back in the car and going back to the Billawheeler Base Hospital and walking up to the front counter and they said, can I help you, sir? I said, yes, you can. I said, here is my daughter and here is a can with the brown snake in it that just bit her. Don't worry about him. He's very dead. But can you worry about this one? Because she's ill. And if this takes effect, she's dying. When you understand that level of emotion, when you understand, dads would understand that, when you're little girls in that sort of state, you understand what it is to come on your knees before the feet of Jesus and ask, please, Lord, you have to help me. You know what I really like about Jairus at this point? He asks Jesus, he's courteous, Lord, can you please... Come and heal my daughter. 
There's a novel approach to life. How many prayers have you heard of people where they're commanding God to do this, where they're trying to manipulate God to do that, where they're, where they're coercing this and that and doing all sorts of stuff? That's, no, that's rubbish. There's great power as a Christian if you're going to release what you carry and you come on your knees before the Lord and go, God, I want to invite you into this situation where you actually ask, Lord, Lord could you please? Could you please come and heal my daughter? Could you please come and engage in this situation? Please? I want to invite you in your releasing of what you carry in the Lord. Always be respectful of the Lord. Remember that's who he is to you. He's your Lord. He's God for a reason. And we come under him as his children. And just like we as parents ask of our children, would you please say please and thank you? In the acknowledgement that we have in, the, in Jesus as God, as Jesus as Lord, can I encourage you in your prayers when you're, you're coming before and you're asking him for something, can you please just be courteous to him? Because it's an expression of lordship and of acknowledgement and respect to the glory and honour of the God who saved you from your sin. And what's it say? And Jesus went with him. That's pretty cool. So they're walking down the road. It says there's a throng of people. I don't know if you get that image in your head. It's like trying to walk down Sideshow Alley at the Ecker. Or if you've ever been in... Um, I had once had the privilege of standing on a train station in the subway in Hong Kong. Oh my goodness. Sardines have more room in their can than what those poor little Chinese people do, do down in that subway. It's like, oompa. Like, I, I, I like personal space. I like lots of personal space. Uh, in, in, in Hong Kong, on the subway, you, you, they didn't read that. I need to have a show. A big personal... They don't see. They just... There's a throng of people there pushing and shoving and moving around. But they walk down the road and there comes this lady who reaches out. And what's it say? I said this to my nephew. He asked me, um, I having my nephew stay over last night. He's, he's in grade four. He goes, Uncle Jeff, what are you doing? I said, mate, I'm, I'm preaching at a church, at church tomorrow. I've got to get ready to do my sermon. Oh. What are you preaching on? Oh, how am I going to get this to you? Um, mate, do you know that story where Jesus walking down the road, the guy called Jairus? No. I love 10-year-olds. They're so honest. I said, okay, um, do you know the story of the lady that walked down the road and touched Jesus on the hem? Oh, that one. Yeah, yeah, I know her. Yeah, she got healed. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. Oh, that's pretty cool. Excellent. Off he skipped. Walking down the road, this lady comes up, touches the hem of his garment. In amongst his hustle and bustle of people. Fascinating point. Have you ever thought about the fact there are so many people hustle and bustling around Jesus, but few ever touch him? You ever gone to a Christian conference? It's all this rah, rah, hype, hype, blah, blah, blah. Great things to go to. I get all that. But I wonder how many people walk away from them actually can say they've done that. We can see so busy in the hustle and bustle of life that we can, we can brush up around and be all written in proximity to Jesus, but few of us ever touch him. 
If you're going to release what you carry, you have to come to a point in your life where you know what it's like to reach out and touch him. And as the lady touched him, the phrase says in verse 30, and power went out from him. So significant, so significant in fact, it's the only time in the entire Bible, Genesis to Revelation, that that phrase is used. Who touched me? Jesus says, who, who, righto, which one of you lot was it? You know you're in trouble when God doesn't know. Do you think he didn't know, really? I think he knew exactly who touched him. This lady who shouldn't have been there, societal terms, complete outcast, would have had it almost stamped across her head with the condition that she had. If you read Numbers, it it outlines it amazingly, how explicit and brutal society was back then. She wasn't allowed in that crowd and she snuck in and touched him. I don't know if you've ever been in that state or you've ever witnessed someone in that state who shouldn't be in the crowd, but they reach out and touch him. I was in a church once, um, working in a church. It was best described as upper to middle class, not middle to upper class. Do you, do you understand what I mean by that phrase? This was very, they are very well-to-do bunch. I walked in and I'm there and I just happened to be hanging around at the door one day and this lady, there's this lady walking around. I'm going, oh, you don't belong in this suburb. All the next one, all the next one. Actually, I've never seen you around here before. She comes in. And I watch her, she goes around, da-da-da, and she walks back out, and as I catch her, just as she gets to the door, I say, oh, Dylan, are you, like, are you okay? Like, she's very teary. And I said, she goes, no, no, it's okay. I said, and she went to walk off. I said, no, can I help you? At that point, she said to me, I remember her phrase, she said, Jeff, I'm just, sir, I'm just so hungry. And I said, all right, we'll buy you some food. Like, let's, let's have a talk. What, what do you need? She said, no, 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 someone just told me here that, that, that probably there's a church on the other side of town that would be more suited to my needs and that I should go over there, so I'm going to go and try them out. I, I'll tell you what I said, not what I thought. Uh, who told you that? I, I don't know, some, someone over there. So obviously I don't belong here, so I, I'm, gonna, I'm, I just, I'm just so hungry. And I thought to myself in that church at that moment, how dare you reject somebody because they didn't look like you, act like you, have the dosh to be like you. There's this lady and all she's wanting to do is touch Jesus because she heard something. No one sat down and and read the four spiritual laws. No one sat down and shared faith with her. She just simply heard from somebody somewhere, Jesus was coming, he could help you. Don't think, don't ever think as you walk down life and you seek to release what you carry, that what you do and what you say never get heard by people. This lady, she just heard about Jesus. Didn't have coffee with anyone. 
So someone somewhere in their everyday life was walking through this particular town where this lady was, told her something about Jesus. She put it all together. He's coming to town. I'm going to go and see him. Actually, I'm going to go and touch him. And Jesus goes, who touched me? To understand the image, you have to understand when this lady comes and falls at the feet of Jesus, the passage says she's prostrate on the ground and she's just sobbing her heart out. Knowing that immediately, as Mark records, she's healed. She comes and shares the story. And, and how do you think Jesus responded to her? Do you think he, this lady, she's prostrate on the ground, crying her eyes out? Do you think Jesus stood there and went, yep, yeah, well, darling, thank you. Um, now go in peace. You've been healed. Have a great day. Keep walking. That's not the Jesus I know. And I reckon that's not the Jesus any of you know. Don't you would have imagined he would have got down on her level? And talk to her. Say, go in peace. Your faith has healed you. Jesus knows when we reach out and do this to him. And if we take this story, he's got something to say about it. Can I encourage you in your prayers to the Lord to stay there long enough until he speaks to you? To hear his voice, to know his voice, to respond to his voice. And Jesus says, go in peace. Do you know that peace isn't the white flag of surrender? That's what we put it at. You've seen the white flag of surrender in war movies. Peace, please, don't shoot me, don't shoot me. No, no, no. Peace biblically actually means to walk in your victories. The war has gone on. The war has been won. You can now walk across the land that you've just conquered in complete peace because the enemies are gone. War or peace is walking in the victories that God's given you. It's biblical. That's what it says in Isaiah 9 verse 6. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Why? Because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Peace is God's own country. True peace is a, is, a, is a place that Christians can walk in and from. Our hope in your body, in your mind, and in your soul, you know God's peace in that way and not some theoretical mumbo-jumbo external from you. Peace is something that happens in here. It affects here and it affects this. And when you haven't got it, that's just God tapping you on the shoulder, inviting you back to that space. Jarius goes and his daughter ends up getting healed. This, water, this woman ends up leaving and she gets healed. And I want to encourage you. And they all go away releasing what they've carried. I want to encourage you in your life, in your journey, in your situation, whatever, wherever that may be, as a Christian, 
we have a God-given responsibility as we go through our lives to release what we carry. And I want to encourage you as Christians, I want to encourage you in the authority that you have in the Lord to do it for no other reason than for his glory and for his honour. Because he deserves that. He deserves that. I get sad when I go into workplaces and there's no and people say oh, I didn't know he was a Christian or I didn't know there's no difference between how he lives and I live like we're just one and the same oh my goodness there should be huge difference let me close with this with this illustration I have no idea how I'm going for time okay we've got three minutes um, let me let me close with this illustration one of the passions I have in my life that my wife has got me into is veggie gardening I'm an ex-cotton farmer, so all my vegetables are in perfect rows, not only this way, that way, but diagonally as well. Pretty impressed. Everything's precision in my veggie garden. Anita's a, my wife, Anita, she's a cottage gardener. She'll chuck a few seeds here and a few seeds there. And a few, what the heck is that? That's not gardening. She goes, Jeff, you're veggie gardening. You're not veggie farming. Anyway, she's got me into growing potatoes. Potatoes, like if you haven't grown potatoes, they're dead easy. Even I can grow them. You just chuck them in the ground. About that deep, make the make your garden as wet as a swamp, and up they come. Fantastic. Anyway, so I'm growing my potatoes are about this high at the moment. Pretty happy. My sabagos are just starting to flower. If you don't know what they are, go to Coles and read the labels. Anyway, brown ones. And I've discovered that lady beetles love potato plants. Oh my goodness. Trauma. And there's two types, there's a bunch of lady beetles, but in my veggie patch, there's two types of lady beetles. There's the 16 spot ones, and there's the 28 spot ones. You might go, oh, really, Jeff? It's only like however many spots difference that is. There's a huge difference. They look exactly the same. They crawl exactly the same. They look just as cute as each other. But the 16 spot ones, they crawl through my garden, my potatoes, and they eat all the aphids and all the nasties. They're, they're what's called beneficial bugs. If you're a 16-spot lady beetle, you can come and reside in my garden anytime you want. I invite you to come. On the other side, I have these 28-spot creatures that decide that it's really good. They don't care about all the other nasty bugs. They just rather eat my potato plants. So they'll go through the leaves and eat every bit of green between every bit of vein. And if you let them go, so the research tells me, they'll kill your potato plants. 16 spot, 28 spot. There's no difference. Just as cute as each other. To one, I wish farewell. To the other, I greet with a block of wood. To look at my veggie patch, you can't tell the difference. But I know the difference. You might live in your workplace and you go, people can't tell the difference between me and my non-Christian mates. Yeah, yeah, no, no. God stands back and goes, he knows the difference. And he asks you to be beneficial to the environment that you live in and to represent him well and to release everything that you carry. Can I invite you to do that? In John chapter 10, verse 10, I close with this Bible verse. The devil comes to steal, rob and destroy but I have come to give you life and give it to you more abundantly.
we're going to represent Jesus well, if we're going to represent and release what we carry, we are invited to live an abundant life that brings glory and honour to the name of the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, as Christians here this morning, that is not beyond the reach of any of us. From my little 10-year-old nephew to whoever the oldest person here is, it's not beyond the reach of anyone. I empower you and I release you to represent Jesus well and to release what you carry in the life that you live and to do it for his glory and honour. And to that I say, Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, I pray for each one of us here this morning. I pray that the fullness of who you are and what you are would, would fall upon us so that we would know whose we are and that we would walk in the full confidence and the full assurance that you have given us everything that we need from how you see us as wonderful to how you invite us to live in a place and from a place of peace. I encourage us as we go, God, to give each person here, even this week, an opportunity to share faith, to minister to someone in a normal, everyday kind of way as they release purely what they carry because of what you've given them. And I ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you.